invite Pastor Trent up, and then we'll pray for him, and then he is going to share God's word for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this man. Thank you for the call that you have put into his heart and into his life to, to follow you, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then to come up and stand in front of a whole bunch of folks and to tell how you've changed him, what you've done in him, how he is a new creation, and how we all can join him in that, that faith journey, that walk. Bless him. Bless the words in his mouth, the meditations of his heart. May they be pleasing unto your sight, a sweet-smelling incense to your nose. For your glory, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Morning. I got to tell you, this is, really, this is really exciting and really strange to stand up in this, in, right here at 9 o'clock in the morning and then finish up at 9.20 or, yeah, it wasn't quite 9 o'clock. Anyway, I walked in there. I, I picked up a mic pack. I walked across the hall, walked in, stepped up on stage, preached, changed my clothes, went in the mosaic, and there's 40, maybe 50 people in there and preached, walked over here, one song, stand up again. It, it's just an exercise in changing gears. And I, it, it's wonderful, but I want to encourage you to never try it. Um, <laughs> We're in uh, Matthew chapter 20 today. Now, I want to remind you that, this, that we are, there are days or weeks in the life of Jesus before he's going to be arrested, mocked in a trial, beaten, pummeled, bleeding, tortured, hung, killed, buried, descend into hell, resurrect from the, fa- resurrect from the dead, and ascend to the Father. So he's got just these few, think about it. If, if you were sick and dying and you have children or grandchildren and they come to see you, don't you think that that would be the time that they would listen very closely to what you had to say? It, it would certainly be your desire to communicate to them the, whatever the one or two things you want to make sure that they know, I love you. I would have done anything for you. I'm going to miss you. Those are the, they're, they're, they're sentiments, but they're also truth. So Jesus, he knows, in fact, he predicts his death again right after this passage. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's, gonna, he's about to give up what he came to give up so that we don't have to pay the price that we deserve. But his disciples still don't get it. And I'm not saying that they don't get it. They get it better than, than, than I probably would. They've been walking with him for three years. In fact, right before this, there was this question that the, the rich young man comes up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and I always find that weird that what must I do to inherit? Inheritance is something that someone else does and they give to you. It's just by accident of birth that you get such an inheritance. So it's nothing you can do to inherit. But what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Keep those. And he goes, I've, I've kept all those since I was a kid. And Jesus looks at him and says, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor, follow me. The guy walks away. And the disciples are, t- Jesus says a few things. And he says something like this. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples are like, then who can? Now, that's a different mindset than we have. But who can get it? Because in their, in their idea, and we do it, we do it on hashtag blessed. I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. In their culture, if you had much, 
it meant that you had been faithful and God is, is, is pouring out blessing upon you. So if you have lots of children, then your family name is going to grow. Your fame is going to grow. Your harvests will be better. Your vineyards will be more fruitful. And, and in fact, if you think back to the book of Job, Job, who hadn't done really anything wrong, he ends up suffering. He's got malignant boils all over his body. His wife and children are dead, all because of a, of a, of a bet the devil made with God. And each of his, each of his um, counselors came to him and basically said, well, what did you do? Maybe God wants you to do this. Maybe God wants you to do this. That's the mindset that if, if you lose your blessing, it's because you've done wrong. If you have blessing, it's because you've done right. And Jesus ends that and he says, no, 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 that's not how it works. The first will be last and the last will be first. And then he goes into this prickly parable. For the kingdom of heaven, he's telling his disciples, this isn't for everybody, this is to the disciples, still trying to tell them that their whole view of what the kingdom looks like, it's off, it still needs some tweaking. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for a day, and he sent them into his vineyard. Now, I just want to give you a little background on this. A denarius is one day's wage, it's minimum wage. It's approximately, it's about enough in that culture at that time. Uh, I don't know exactly what city they were in right here, so it's hard to say exactly. Uh, but it's about enough money to buy bread and something like porridge for a husband, a wife, and three growing kids. A day's wage is enough for a day's allotment of bread and porridge. In fact, we don't always look at it this way, but when we pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, what we're asking is, God, give us today only what we need for today so that we will depend on you. If you think about it, going back into the desert with the Israelites in the manna, if they tried to grab a bunch and hold on for later, it would spoil. It would get rotten. So God has been trying to train his people to count on him day to day. And these workers, these, and this happens in our country. We just don't see it much around here. But I know in San Diego and some places in Florida, it tends to be the Home Depot or the Lowe's parking lot where, where day, day laborers will gather and, you know, for picking uh, oranges or grapes or, or peaches or lemons or even sometimes peanuts. It depends on if you're in Georgia or not. Um, but the, the, the people will come by in their big trucks and they'll say, I want you, 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 you come with me, you'll work this day, and when you were done, this is what I'll give you. And it's kind of a cash economy. Um, so these people would gather about 5 o'clock in the morning and wait for landowners to come by and say, I need you, 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 day's wage. So he came early in the morning, and he gathered them up. He agrees to pay them a denarius, and then they go to work in his vineyard. About the third hour, that's about 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. And he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. So nine o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, noon, three o'clock. About the 11th hour, five o'clock, I said 12 day work, 12 hour work day. Five o'clock, about the 11th hour. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. And so he said, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, so just, just a little bit 
about an hour later, just so you know, the workday doesn't end. There's not that big Fred Flintstone whistle that goes off. Everyone quits working. You know, you go clock out. It's you keep working until the foreman calls you in to get your pay. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, um, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and going to the first. And the workers were, who were hired about the 11th hour, they came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, and when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Makes sense. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered the landowner. He answered to one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Before, the first will be last and the last will be first. And so that's his way of saying all of these things speak to the same problem. I'm going to tell you a story. This woman that I'm going to talk about who said some pretty awful things, she's in heaven now, um, and I was asked to do, officiate at her funeral by her family, and I'm pretty sure after you hear the story that you'll know that she probably was rolling over, if there's such a thing as rolling over in your grave, when I was officiating at her funeral. I mean, nothing against her. In fact, I, I found out a way to, 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 to feel grace toward her, and I'll explain that in a minute. But back in the 90s, 1990s, that's a long time ago, back when iPads were called paper and pencil, um, we didn't have cell phones, and if we did, they, if they hooked on your belt, they were about this big, two and a half pounds, a uh, dollar a minute. But in the 90s, in this area, especially in the Christian Reformed, Reformed churches, there were things called, that were going on in most churches, called worship wars. And that was the, the, the people that kind of stuck to the, just so you know, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, if you were part of a Reformed or Christian Reformed church, you could go to any other town in any other state, to a Christian Reformed Reformed church, and the very same liturgy would be done. You would know when you're going to be reading the Ten Commandments. You would know when you were going to get your assurance of pardon. You would know that you were going to have some reading and response, and you would have a passage of Scripture being articulated uh, in, a, in, in a way that probably had a Dutch brogue to it. And some people were still grieving the fact that, that we, no longer, um, we no longer speak Dutch in the Reformed and Christian Reformed churches. Others were, were frustrated that we had moved from the blue psalter to the gray psalter. So that we're not just singing hymns put to music, but hymns. And then these Gen Xers and late boomers and Gen Xers came along and they said, we don't like that old music with an organ and, and, and a piano. We want drums and guitars, and we want lyrics not in a book, but on a screen. And boy, did it get ugly, especially where I was. Um, it's a church that we served for 21 years. We were there six or seven years at this point, and, and there was this war going on. We had traditional, we had contemporary worship, and the people that, were, that started the traditional worship or the contemporary worship, they're saying, we are never going back into that sanctuary again. That's just full of traditionalism, and it's people, they're just dead in their faith. They're saying that about their Christian brothers and sisters. 
And the people in the traditional are kind of saying, well, those, they just want rock bands. They just want music that will tickle their ears. And, and they're saying that about their Christian brothers and sisters. There's a war over how we're going to say good things to God. Now, we were pretty new to the church, not that church, but the church. And it was just a shock. And our council at that time, in their infinite, and I mean that, infinite wisdom, they decided to do what every congregational member wants. When there's a problem in the church, we want you leaders to listen to me. So they brought in 100 people at a time, divided us up in the great room into tables of five to six to seven. And they said, what do you think we should do? Is this one going to be primary and this one secondary? Is this one going to be primary this one secondary? Are they equal? Do they get the same amount of staff attention, same amount of financial attention, same amount of council discussion? And we start going around this table, and there's a woman in her mid to late 70s sitting at our table, and she's part of, the, of one of the three families at that church that had been there. That had, there was one year that, Mac, that Lake Mac didn't freeze, and the members of Third Reformed Church, they couldn't get all the way around in the winter, and so they decided to start this church, Harderwijk Christian Reformed Church. And they built that place. They worked and they toiled and they sacrificed and they volunteered and they did potlucks. And when someone crop wasn't good, they brought them food. I mean, these are wonderful, salt of the earth, God-fearing people. Sitting around the table, and this one woman has one of those names. There were three families that had could trace themselves back to that winter when the lake didn't freeze. And we get around to her, what do you think we should do? I can't do her accent, but she said that I think that everyone that's come to this church in the last seven years should leave. And Lynn, who would never think an ill thought of anyone, believed that this woman must have misspoke. Misspoke? Spoken? And she said, you think that everyone that's come here in the last seven years should leave? Yes. Even us? And she gives this look. Am I up on the screen? Yeah, you can see it. <laughs> Why would she say something like that? Why would she say that I want brothers and sisters in Christ to leave my church? Entitlement. Why would someone who agreed to work for a day be upset that someone else who didn't work very long got paid the same they would? Because it's not fair. And to this woman, to her credit, or to, um, to, to kind of offer some grace to her, Everything in her entire world had changed. In the mid-90s, computers start coming up. Um, church mail, you don't know everyone in your own church. Politicians had let you down. Religious leaders had let you down. There's no institutional loyalty anymore. People are deciding whether to send their kids to a school that isn't the same school that everyone else sends their kids to. It's just the, her whole world had been upset. I can't go to church and, no, and have it be predictable anymore. The one thing in her life she wanted to remain the same, the one thing that should be the anchor for all is church. Don't take my church away. I get it. But she believed that she had more say in the church than the newbies because she was one of those families and we all do it we all think we're entitled to God's blessing more than others so I want you to think about these men that were hired at six o'clock in the morning they came out that day praying I'm sure to God give me this day my daily bread let me work because those who do not work shall not eat. 
And so early in the day, they get hired. And you know what they have all day long? Assurance. A certainty that their children and their wife will have bread and porridge. So they don't have to worry about anything until tomorrow. Those that were there that that got picked up or or called to work at 9 o'clock in their heads, when they weren't the first ones picked, they're going like this. All right, so if I'm lucky and someone comes by later, it's not going to be bread and porridge, but bread will be enough. We'll be okay. And then at noon, they're thinking, well, maybe if my wife and I don't eat, there'll be enough for the children. Because they know today's wages and half a day gets half a wage. And then the people at the ninth hour and then the 11th hour, you, that guy's still standing there. Those people are still standing there hoping, hoping. They're, they're already, they've already convinced themselves our family's not eating today. Not eating today. But maybe if I go, if, if someone will come by, just let me, maybe I'll get some table scraps. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can go and they don't pay me anything, but they just send me home with a little piece of bread. Because they've already convinced them, if no one hires me, then I'm going to walk home and I'm going to walk behind the baker's, the baker's place and I'm, maybe I'll find a piece of old moldy bread from three days ago that he threw out and I can get to it before the cat or the dog does. So maybe my kids will have something to make their belly full. That's what he's thinking. And so it, the mindset changed though between I have assurance that I fam- my family's going to be fed to how dare you landowner give this person the same as me. You made them equal to me. If you're the landowner, how dare you tell me what I get to do? Jesus is talking to his disciples about his father. And he's trying to tell them that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God didn't hold on to being God, right? He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he, he took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And why did he come? I mean, what does God deserve? What does the second person of the Trinity deserve? To be God. And to be worshipped, to get all glory, laud, and honor forever and ever, amen. To have every angel, every person that's ever died, to be kneeling down before him, praising, worthy is the lamb. But he decided not not to be entitled to that, but to come and serve so that we don't ever get what we deserve. See, Christianity's not fair. This isn't fair. That someone who works for 12 hours gets paid the same as someone who works for an hour. And it's not fair that someone who works for an hour gets paid the same as someone who works for 12. But thank God Christianity isn't fair because you don't want it to be. If it was, you're doomed. You're doomed. What does the scripture say? The wages, our paycheck for sin is death. Everlasting separation from the one who made you. Do you want Christianity to be fair? Because if you do, then you're going to get what you deserve. Do you want what you have coming to you? If not, why do you want someone else to get only what they have coming to them? That's not an accusation. We all get this way. Jonah got this way. Remember when Jonah, God said, take the Nineveh, his enemies, modern day Iraq. Said, I want you to go and tell them about me and tell them to repent. Nope. So he runs away. And he almost gets a bunch of people killed. And then God gets him gobbled up on the fish and the fish literally throws him up under the shore of Nineveh. And he goes reluctantly telling people that they need to repent because God wants to save them. 
And then he's on the beach at the end of that book, and there's this, this big leafy thing hanging over, and then even that shrivels up. And this is what Jonah says. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to be God. Don't I have the right to do with my provision what I want? Or are you envious because I'm generous? We all get that way. I, I remember in 2006 or seven, I'd just been called up to be the lead pastor at at Harder White Christian Reformed Church, and a friend of mine just used his first name, James. He'd been serving this little church in Fremont, Michigan, and he got a call to a, to a larger church on the east side of Grand Rapids. And I went, hey, you know, are they, are they taking care of you? I mean, you gotta, is it a living wage? And he goes, oh, oh, yeah. And he told me what he's making. I'm like, that doesn't seem fair. It's about double what I'm making. And I've been serving here for 14 years, and this guy, he hasn't even been, he barely got in that church, and he's already, what the not fair oh yeah it is because I said yes to the wage that I was going to get and he said yes to the wage that he was going to get but sometimes we look at others 11th hour confessions 82 years old baptizes a child walks through his whole life completely unfaithful and two days before he dies he confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior and sometimes we kind of go we I just kind of hope Jesus would say little too too little too late go to hell no we wouldn't that's what this is. See, we look at it from the mindset of the workers. But Jesus is trying to show us the mindset of God. To those who were hired early, God's provision for their daily bread was assured early. And when he comes back, and he comes back, and he comes back. But those that have been living in anxiety... Those that are, have convinced themselves that my kids are going to go hungry tonight. Those that are convincing themselves that maybe a couple of pennies and I can, maybe, you know, maybe if I get work tomorrow, maybe we can make up for today. Maybe they won't, they won't be, it won't be that bad. And the owner calls them out, has them work, and immediately pays them. Why? Because he's concerned about them feeding their children. He's concerned about their provision not about who's equal or who's better and who's above. He wants the same thing for all of his children. And you know what? You're one of his children. And if he gives you assurance early in your life, praise God because it is an honor to know and to be assured that you're walking in him and that he's living in you and that your salvation is secure. Praise God. It's an honor to work for a lifetime for the king. But for those who find out later, who understand later that God loves them, that he adores them, that he does not want to give them what they deserve. He wants to give them what they did not earn. Praise God that God wants to give them the same thing that he's given you. And you should work hard to make sure that they find out earlier so they don't have to live in anxiety and wonder and, 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 and what, what's the meaning of life. You can share it with them. And then rejoice when they come to Christ the way, the, way, the way Jesus does. The parable of the lost sheep, the good shepherd, when he goes off and he looks for the one that got lost, it's the same thing. But he wants his people to have the attitude that he has. To stop worrying about whether someone's blessed more than you and start worrying about someone who doesn't know yet that God wants to bless them. So I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself a question today. 
Where do you have an entitlement spirit in the kingdom? When you hear that someone got a raise, a Christian brother or sister, is your first thought, awesome! Or is your first thought, I, I, I could use that. Sometimes when someone has a car that's broken down, the church with their benevolent, our benevolence fund, will, you know, they'll pay for a $1,000 repair. I'm like, I can use $1,000. There's three new fishing rods I want. But God's concern is provision. He wants to provide daily bread for his children. And he wants his children to not be entitled, but to help him provide daily bread for his children. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about faith and mercy and grace and life and hope and peace, joy. And if you don't find any entitlement peace in your, in, your, in, your, in your own soul, ask God to reveal it to you. And then if he does reveal it to you, confess it. Because he already knows it. So tell him what he already knows. Repent of it. Ask forgiveness for it. Receive that forgiveness. And go back and work in the, in the vineyard. Because you have assurance that your eternal address is set. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people walking around that only have anxiety about what this whole life is about and what happens when we die. And you have an opportunity to share with them the assurance that God wants to give them the same thing He gave you. Christianity is not fair. Praise God, because if it were, we're all doomed. Let's pray. Lord, in just a moment, after we sing a song worshiping you, and it's a good one, we're going to experience the sacrament of baptism in a way we don't get to experience very often. Remind us of the symbol of it, from death to life, being washed clean completely, to be just drowning in the grace of God as we sing this song and then watch someone be submerged into your mercy remind us all how gracious you are for giving us the provision and the assurance of everlasting life we pray these things in Jesus name through the power of the spirit of God that lives within us for the glory of God our father amen the Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. 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 Go with and in the peace of Christ. Congratulations, man. <laughs> I'm wet.